You're listening to a Sunday sermon from Seven Mile Road Church in Melrose, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. To check out more about us, go to sevenmilemelrose.com. Back in 2016, my doctor told me that I needed to lose some weight. There was like a 50-pound gap between college Michael and grad school Michael. And there was like a 40-pound gap between grad school Michael and the recommended BMI. So working to lose weight since then has kind of ebbed and flowed based on various degrees of success and motivation. In the best of times, when I'm thinking more clearly, I prioritize eating well in moderation, even eating windows. And I do that because I have some clear things I'm aiming at. To the best of my, what, as best as it's in my hands, I would like to live a long time. I like being active and playing sports, which for me is made harder and less enjoyable when I'm overweight and want to honor God with the body that he's given me. So on days when making good food choices is hard, but when I remember the good motivations, I tend to eat in a way that's aligned with the kind of person that I want to become, who eats well consistently and chooses cucumbers over chips or one cookie instead of three. All right, so maybe eating healthy isn't hard for you. So congratulations. We're all happy for you. <clears throat> but I bet if the food and diet doesn't resonate with you, then you know the experience of seeing the gap between who you wish you were and then who you actually are. Some of us want to be that level five, good to great leader, the servant-hearted manager who equips everyone around them for success. But instead, what you've seen yourself is constantly viewing everybody as a competitor and wanting them to serve you. Or maybe your difficulty is the gap between the kind of parent that you want to be and then the kind of parent who is talking to your children on a Tuesday night. Or maybe it's the gap between the kind of husband and wife you want to be and then the one that keeps emerging to hurt your spouse, choosing to be selfish instead of sacrifice to help them. Maybe if you're here and you're following Jesus, you're noticing this gap between the way of following Jesus and then what your life looks like. Maybe you're here and you don't believe in Jesus yet and you can't figure out what's missing in your life. You realize deep down there's a gap between the life that you're made for and the life that you're living right now. And the gap is so big that relationships aren't filling it and work isn't going to do it and money success at sports or school, vacation, clothes. The gap that we're all experiencing in these things is pointing us to an important truth, that we're made to live a life worthy of God who made us. We all intuitively know it. And then if you've read the scriptures, you also know it by God's revealed truth. We're made to live a life worthy of God who made us. And the question is, how then do we actually live a life like that when the calling from God is so high and then our alignment tends to be so low. That leads us to this important principle that will help us when we see those gaps in our life in the way that we're doing life and the gap between how we're living and then what God has called us to. And this is what I hope you'll see in the passage today, that living worthy of God begins by continually remembering the gospel that it begins when we continually remember the gospel. All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump into 1 Thessalonians 2 together. Father, I ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe your word. 
May the words of my mouth, meditation of our heart be pleasing to you. Amen. Okay, so let's remind ourselves of why Paul wrote this letter in particular. He was very concerned for this new baby church plant. Paul and Silas and Timothy were only able to be in this city for three weeks before they get run out by Jewish opposition to gospel preaching. Paul is concerned for their faith. Three weeks is enough time to start believing the gospel. Three weeks is not enough time to get a broad understanding of the doctrines of the faith. And it's not enough time to train and establish local leaders. It's Paul's concern for their faith. And in this passage, he's reminding them of how they received the gospel as a way to encourage them to live lives worthy of God. So as we jump into verse 1 and 2, let's look at, Paul wants them to remember how the gospel came to them. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul and Silas came to their city after being publicly beaten and condemned in public without trial in Philippi. And then at the end of that, they were hustled out of the city, and then they came to Thessalonica. So despite all that they had just gone through, God gave Paul and Silas and Timothy boldness to declare the gospel in this new city. And even when they were receiving opposition in this city from those that we'll see later, the Jews who rejected the gospel and were opposing him, they spoke with courage, spoke with conviction. And Paul wants them to remember how they received the gospel. In my gospel community on Wednesday night, we talked about how no one had ever heard this gospel news before. This was brand new information to everybody who had heard it. And the Spirit gave the messengers boldness to speak it and the people faith to believe it. So for us, if you're in here following Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, which means you're also a gospel missionary in the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and gave Paul and Silas and Timothy boldness to speak is also with you to give you boldness to speak the gospel to your neighbors. Paul wants them to remember how they received the gospel. And then he also wants them to remember the messenger's motivations, like Paul and Silas and Timothy, what their motivations were. This is in verse 3. It says, For our appeal doesn't spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul's attempts to persuade them to faith didn't come from misunderstanding God or God's work. His encouraging them to believe in Christ doesn't come from evil motivations, masking, masked as pure ones. His gospeling them isn't utilizing half-truths just to gain followers. One writer I found said this way better than I could. He said the heralds weren't hucksters who hustled these people. The heralds, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they weren't hucksters who hustled these people. They came and they knew they were approved by God in Christ for this mission, this mission, so they were only aiming to please him. It gave them freedom to speak the gospel. 
with sincerity, with clarity, completely. They were aiming at God's glory, not their own glory. It's really important to see. He's, Paul is saying, we're not after our own glory. We're actually after God's glory in you. He's not after his own glory, but God's glory in them and through them. And because that's true, he then moves on and he wants them to remember how not just Paul, but the whole team, their lives were aligned with the gospel that they were preaching. In verse 7, he says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Paul knows they could have come. They could have come as apostles of Christ and made demands. It could have been a burden. They could have used their authority as gospel messengers and apostles to provide for their own needs, provide for their own comforts at the expense of the Thessalonians. Instead, they chose to prioritize the Thessalonians' needs above their own comfort. They worked hard to care for the burdens of the Thessalonians, these baby Christians, rather than be a burden to them. And so they care for them really deeply, and they have so much love and affection for them, it's really hard not to read this and feel it. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they didn't see their, the Thessalonians' troubles, questions, concerns as obstacles to their real work. Paul is gentle and patient, kind, warm, affectionate toward them as if they're his own children. So he summarizes this first part where he's talking to them about how they received the gospel, from whom they received the gospel. And he says it with this big sentence in verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Paul and Silas didn't make a separation between the times when they would give them the gospel and then the rest of their living. They worked and they ate, and they drank, and they gave them the gospel message because the gospel makes us family. This is why at the beginning of the letter, Paul says, God, our Father. They were all in for all of life with the Thessalonians. And that's the call to each one of us in the gospel, to be all in for all of life. It's why it matters that we become members of the church because when we join the church, we're not consumers. We just join to come in for uplifting goods and services. Consumers make choices based on preference and convenience. Family makes choices based on the needs of one another, sacrificing to help them get those. When we become members, we share our whole lives with one another. This is why we think our gospel communities are so important in our church, because it's this place where this all-of-life intersection happens. We're sharing the gospel, and we're sharing all of our lives together. It's a really important reality to consistently remember that the gospel makes us family, which means we're members of one another. And the gospel makes us family. So we're all in for all of life. So Paul wants them to remember how they received the gospel, from whom they received the gospel. And we see, we're about to see so that they'd remember to live their lives worthy of God. Because living worthy of God begins by continually remembering the gospel. So he's reorienting them to remember the gospel, how they received it, how it came to them. He wants them to remember also the hard work that Paul and Silas and Timothy did when they were among them. In verse 9, he says, If you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, 
that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul and his crew, they knew that coming in and asking for financial support could be a potential obstacle for the Thessalonians to receive the gospel freely without skepticism of their motivation. So they worked hard late at night, early in the morning, all day to provide for their needs so the Thessalonians didn't have to. He moves on, verse 10. He says, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul calls on them to remember, like witnesses in a courtroom, their character. They were pious toward God. They were upright in the way that they did their business and in their life. They were above reproach, accusation. And because Paul and Silas and Timothy loved them the way a father loves his children, they spent their time urging them, encouraging them, challenging them to live gospel lives, remembering the God who called them for what he called them. It's actually a pretty frequent thing that Paul tells his churches to live worthy of God. He says it here to the Thessalonians, but he also says it to the Philippian church, the Colossian church, and the Ephesian church. When we hear something like that, live your life worthy of God. If you're like me, you can begin thinking about the gap between how you live your life and what a life lived worthy of God could be or should be. So here's a really big truth about how God works that will help us as we experience those gaps between who God calls us to be and who we really are. Paul wants them to remember this, and we need to remember it as well, is that God is the one who calls us. He calls us to his kingdom, to his glory. God isn't responding to our good store of righteous choices. He calls us while we're active sinners, and he makes us a part of his family by his own work. And if you're here this morning, he might actually be doing that in you right now. What if this morning you walked in knowing something was wrong or something was missing, and God is going to work in you and welcome you into his family through Jesus today? God Almighty might be calling you to himself. And it's actually God's work calling us to himself that then propels us outward in mission, that God uses us to spread his gospel. He uses us. And he's at work changing our lives, and then he uses us to function like magnets, drawing the interest of spouses and kids and coworkers, friends to see Jesus at work changing us. This is how he gets the, go- the glory through us because in the end, how could we take credit for that? So if you belong to Jesus, it's because he called you in his grace and he's making you his own. Christ Jesus has made you his own. God the Father has called you to his family. The Holy Spirit is at work changing you because God loves you and has made you part of his family as his child. These are the gospel truths that we need to remind ourselves of on Wednesday afternoons when we fail at work. This is what we need to pray to believe like Tuesday night parenting conflict where we didn't do so hot. That living worthy of God begins by continually remembering the gospel. 
I'm saying that really strangely, like the begin by continually. I know that that, if you're a grammar nerd, that doesn't really line up, but I'm saying it so it might stick in our heads because we're prone to forget the gospel. And we need to reset our minds regularly on how we entered into the family of God. We need to remind ourselves that God is the one who calls us. It's Jesus' work that covers us. And when we know that Jesus covers our sins, that God is the one who calls us, we don't have to self-protect. We don't have to self-justify anymore. And that's good news, worth remembering. Paul finishes this reminder and encouragement in these final four verses. He says, verse 13, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. The reason these Thessalonians received the gospel message as the truth of God, the reason that if you're following Jesus that you have done this is because God's word by his spirit was at work in your hearts to see and believe the gospel truth. In chapter 1, we heard Paul say that the Thessalonians had become imitators of Paul and Silas and Timothy. And here we see that they've become imitators of someone else, the older established churches in Judea. So even though they're a tiny, baby, brand new church plant, they reacted to suffering as if they were an older, established, mature church. I think that that would have been an encouraging thing for them to hear in this moment. It's one of the reasons why it's good and healthy and mutually beneficial, encouraging to build relationships with churches from other areas, even other countries, so we can hear and learn from their missional struggles, what they've learned as they follow Jesus in their area, which helps us and vice versa. It's why we pray for church planting regularly. Why is it that we need a partnership with people in Scotland? Why do we give and participate in Acts 29? Why do we fund and mission and church planting in Africa, off the coast of the Indian Ocean? Why do we want a family of churches in New England? Paul is showing the Thessalonians their connection to the broader church, the gospel networks that they have, to strengthen them in their local mission and to lift up their heads to see that they're part of a broader gospel movement. And all of this was happening in the context of opposition, from the Jews in Thessalonica, because when Paul came preaching, Jesus is the Christ, crucified and resurrected, some believed, but many opposed. And that opposition didn't stop when Paul left. And it marked the church, and it challenged its growth, much like following Jesus can be hard for us today. But notice a couple things. God gave them one another so they could endure, God gave them the spirit for comfort and for boldness. And God's faithful family grew in that opposition. So as we close, let me give you one question to think about to help us this week live worthy of God by beginning with remembering the gospel. So the question is,
Are you living your life worthy of God who called you? So if you're not on board with Jesus yet, how are you handling those moments where you see you don't even measure up to your own standards? How are you justifying your own failures, failure to love your family, to help your neighbors? If you're not following Jesus, the truth of the gospel is that you can't measure up to your own standards. And even more than your own standards, we're very, very far away from measuring up to God's standards. And our only hope is that God has acted in our place for us to cover that gap by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And when you follow Jesus by all in, all of life, trust, God forgives you of your sin gives you a stable identity in Jesus, and makes you part of his faithful family. If you're here and you are following Jesus, are you living your life worthy of God who called you? When you sin, what's your reaction? What's your posture? Do you cover up, try to make up for that sin, that gap? Or is the constant rhythm of your life continuing to trust Jesus to cover you? If you're following Jesus, are you living your life worthy of God who called you? Are you viewing participation in the church as if you're a consumer or if you're a member of the family? Are you all in for all of life, sharing not only the gospel, but your whole life with others? This is God's calling on all of us, all in depending on Jesus and all of life sharing with one another. So let's be God's faithful family together. Let's live lives worthy of God, our Father, because he is faithful. He has called us and made us a family so that we can be faithful to one another. So let's go for that together this week, living lives worthy of God by constantly remembering the gospel. Let's pray.